Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. What's the latest? Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint show presented by Ball is Life. Ronnie, we're about uh, over a week removed from the uh, helicopter accident, obviously, um, that um, killed Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and seven others, um, you know, two Sundays ago. Yeah, dominated the news, obviously. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There wasn't much else to talk about no, last week yeah. besides that. Uh, thank you for everybody. want to thank our... Um, Thank our special guest that came on last week. They kind of came on in the last moment. Uh, they didn't really have to do it, Devin. You know, no, they yeah, didn't especially really, guys like Sonny Vaccaro. Yeah, they didn't really have to do it. No. You know, uh, I think it was good for them in terms of maybe something get like you said get off their chest. Maybe it's a way to grieve too. You know, and it's just a and people want to know. So obviously, they all gave good insight. Uh, this week, we we're we're kind of following up on something that we wanted to talk about, but when that happened. Uh, we kind of put everything else to the back burner, just like everybody else did in sports. Yeah, we had to change directions for sure. Yeah, so uh, we wanted to mention uh, like the life and times of Morgan Wooten, who passed away on January 21st at the age of 88. Morgan Wooten's a longtime high school coach in um, Washington, D.C. at DeMatha Catholic, uh, arguably the most well-known high school coach. And we're actually tying this into what happened to Kobe Bryant and that's why we're doing it now. We were originally going to do it last week and kind of, it was going to be a slightly different angle. So we're all going to try to tie it in. So hopefully you guys can stay with us here as, uh, as we, we talk about coach Wooten and how it relates to like, uh, mainly the relationships guys have for playing in these big all-star games. And as you saw last week with Rashad Phillips, Corey Benjamin and their relationship to Kobe, they, they kind of form a bond and we're trying to give, the viewers, especially the younger viewer, an idea of how all this came to be. How yeah. McDonald's, how yeah. Jordan Brand, how yeah. Iverson Classic, how Ball's Life All-American Game, yeah. where these things were rooted more, uh, more in a less, historical yeah. standpoint. Right? Correct. And how did we get here? You know, like, how do people know each other across the country? Right. You follow ball across the country. Why do I follow ball in the DMV? Why do you, you know, that type of thing. So we're going to have a few guests on to hopefully shed some more light to give you guys insight. And we're going to tie it all together. But, Devin, um, just to follow up, you know, Lakers played the first game last Friday. Um, first game after. The, yeah, yeah. Since the tragedy. And, honestly, it felt almost like a funeral, <laughs> you know, itself. I mean, I don't – correct me if I'm wrong. Excuse my ignorance. I don't think there's been any funeral yet for anybody. No. For any of Not the any other They just people. announced the yeah. Altabelli's family's uh, memorial will be held at Angel Stadium. Wow. Um, which is, you know, I'm sure it's going to be 
jam packed and sure a lot uh, of people in Orange County know who he is. Right, he was a, he was a long time long time baseball coach at Orange Coast College, uh, you know, kind of deep rooted within within uh, the junior college and baseball community and beyond. Um, but yeah, uh, Kobe's memorial obviously hasn't been set. But like you said, I wasn't watching that live. Sure. I went to because I'm sick in the head. I went to St. Anthony uh, and St. Bernard. Uh, high school game on Friday at St. Anthony. Good high Good school high basketball school game. game. Yeah. Um, but like you have written down here, Ronnie. Um, it stuff it, like when I when I watched yeah. it back and I watched the the clips on Twitter. Uh, it felt like his memorial, really, yeah. with uh, Usher singing uh, "Amazing Grace" and then uh, Boys to Men also uh, making an appearance. And then there was a halftime uh, performer. It was just. Crazy to see all of those. Yeah, a lot of emotions, reigns of emotions. Yeah, and like all the celebrities who came out. Oh yeah, all the different boys to men. Right. I mean, when they sang, people were just bawling. Right. Like, uh, like you said, like it's a funeral. Quinn Cook, LeBron. Yeah. Uh, they were all you know visibly shaken up during those performances, and just goes to show the kind of impact that Kobe Bryant had. And the impact reached far beyond the NBA. Obviously, I went to a game. Wednesday, the Wednesday after it happened at um, uh, Edison, Edison against Los Alamitos, and Christina Mauser, who was uh, uh, assistant coach for Kobe Bryant with the Mambas, uh, went to Edison High School. Wow! And she was a standout basketball player, and I believe she also played softball. And they had a 33 second uh, moment of silence in memory of her. She wore number 33 for the Edison girls basketball team. Um, and at St. Anthony, they had a, a 24 second moment of silence at modern day, the Nike extravaganza this past weekend, they had a moment mm-hmm. of silence. And yeah. I think, you know, people, you know, high school kids writing, you know, RIP Kobe, RIP Gigi, whatever on their shoes. Um, you know, coaches can encouraging fans coming to their games to wear their Kobe Bryant Lakers gear. Yeah. Um, you know, NBA players switching numbers like Quinn cook went to number 28 to, uh, memorialize Gianna's number and Kobe's number together. Um, you know, the NBA with the all-star game, they're going to do, uh, number two and number 24 for yeah. everybody. And they've revamped that whole thing. I don't exactly know what they're doing. Yeah. There, I mean, we can talk about that on a later, another time. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. but again, it's just, they're honoring Kobe yeah, bottom line. All of these yeah. different, uh, ways people are, are recognizing this and, uh, you know, Using it to you know, remember him and yeah. Gianna and the impact. I mean, soccer teams, uh, hockey teams. Like every, it's 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 a it's a like we said, it's a global impact kind of thing. What was you, obviously your first takeaway from the uh, uh, Lakers' first game against Portland was it was like a memorial. But yeah. did you think they had any chance to win that basketball game? Because I did. They started really bad. Yeah, uh, the game was sloppy in the first few minutes, uh, predictably so. Just wasn't well played. Then they picked it up. I just think, um, you know, kudos to Dame Lillard, the Oakland High standout. Man, he's playing really good in the last, uh, you know, month or so, and especially in the last five, six days. Um, but I'm sorry, five or six games, not five or six days. But <laughs> Well, that too, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, same difference. <laughs> exactly. So he's, um, you know, so he's playing uh, terrific ball and – you know, it's just good for some guys handle those things differently. Uh, Carmelo Anthony didn't want to play on Friday. Um, Trevor Reza was visibly shaken up. He's pretty close to Kobe. Uh, he, he won a ba- couple championships with yeah, Kobe, right? Yeah, at least one. I think he was on the 
Maybe he was on the second, first team, no, 09. I'm not sure he was on the 10 team. Don't matter. Yeah. I mean, he was part of the the, champion, the second run of championships. And uh, Trevor was in the back. He kind of excused himself, went to the back. And it was it was a tough it was a tough uh, week for everybody. Um, I remember Sunday, meaning last Sunday, eight nine days ago. Um, and, you know, I get started with work, and I'm thinking about where these teams are going. And I'm looking at the, it's eight o'clock, nine p.m., ten p.m., and I'm looking at my computer. I'm like, nothing is done. I ain't got nothing done. So, I see people are getting back a little bit back to normal this week. You're trying. We're all trying to get back to a normal week in the basketball and sports world. I mean, obviously, it's tragedy touched uh, non-basketball figures. I mean, I seem like even um, you know the Baltimore Ravens and others. <laughs> yeah, just random organizations kind of shying them out, which kind of goes into our um, thing with Morgan Wooten and how big he was in in that in that area in the DMV area, you know, um, I know there was a, uh, like you mentioned, there was a lot awesome tributes across the world. And you just think about Kobe for a minute. The guy knows Mandarin, right? He knows English, Spanish and Italian, and he, he might know a fifth language, but I'm sure he does. Yeah. How, how many people speak those four languages, Mandarin, English, Spanish, and, and Italian three billion <laughs> like a, it's a huge number, right? Just those three or four languages yeah, yeah. alone is so. This guy touched a lot of people. Uh, just knowing Mandarin in, in Spanish and English is, you know, the, you're covering a lot of the world. Yeah. So, um, rightfully so that all this happened, uh, meaning the reactions to his death, and uh, you know, there there's a lot of people grieving in different ways, and there was. Um, you know, people are saying let's change the logo now real fast. It's like yeah, what, yeah, let's before we get into that, into, yeah, what quick. do you think about that, Ronnie? Uh, I think everybody says let's respect the dead, let's respect the fallen. Um, honestly, and and obviously talking about Kobe Bryant, his daughter, and others, and when you're talking about respect them, respect their privacy. Uh, Vanessa made that statement on Instagram, and mostly I got yeah. out of it was the her initial statement was. Can respect our privacy. All that other stuff she said was what you would normally sure. say when somebody pa- yep. passes that you love. So uh, as far as I know, and I remember, like, dude, Jerry West is alive. So <laughs> if you ask Jerry West, that's like his son, his se- second son. And if you say Jerry, again, I don't know who would have the, 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 the balls or the dumbness to say this, but right. Jerry, what do you think about Kobe being the logo? Of course he's going to say... He has to. Of course he's going to say, I think he should be the logo. He has to say yes well, in that situation. In that situation, yeah. just based on... But if you really think about it, you're kind of dishonoring him while you're trying to honor another guy. He's he's here. He's... he's a, you know, that's what crazy thing I mentioned last week, Devin. Besides Wilt, like Oscar Robinson's still here. Magic's still here. Bird, you know, Kareem. I mean, Kobe's really young. So, like... Yeah, right. You know, all a lot of the greats are still alive. Elgin Baylor... You know, so, uh, yeah, I, I just think people in a few weeks think I think people will come back to their normal routine, Devin. They'll kind of calm down. I think it's just a, a knee jerk reaction. It doesn't okay prove anything. I mean, so I'm not sure. Mean? I'm not I sure. I think more people need to know about Jerry West and Kobe. Okay, meaning young people like 
why is that guy the logo? Do you even know? That's that's a good point. You and here, here's my thing. How did? Yeah. I'm not sure if you know this. Yeah. I don't know this. How did Jerry West become the logo? I think back then, you know, the NBA wasn't making big money. They took a picture from him from a magazine. Yep. I know the I know the picture. And slapped it on there and like, you're the logo, dude. And we're not compensating you. I don't think back then maybe Jerry West took it like as, hey, it's an honor. Like he didn't really like. I'm gonna sue you guys. Like that's my <laughs> image and likeness. You what know? was the logo before that? I don't think it was the logo before okay. that. Okay. I don't think you know the NBA wasn't really on TV. It wasn't on live TV. Okay. So I don't know if they had anything. I have some old magazines from let's, the '50s. Let's see. Let's see if I can you look know. this up. Well, I have some magazines from the '50s. You know me, looking at old. Yeah, I know look, you. Looking for high school. You got stuff. magazines from the yeah 1800s. Yeah. So <laughs> I never saw a logo. So I don't. Th- it must have came some some ways in the mid to late 1960s because I've never seen it. You know. So. so this one from 50, 50 to <laughs> Google this. This is crazy. Yeah. yeah. The one from fifty to fifty one. Like I, I don't know if this is real, Ronnie, but like look at this thing. Yeah. National yeah, Basketball was, Association. Yeah, it's it was, written in red and white, and it's, it looks, looks like, like a baseball. baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it probably they probably wanted people to come think it was baseball. Right, so it was more it. popular. Yeah, you know, so that's interesting. That so it you know again as we we mentioned, and I think Charles Barley made some good points uh, in his kind of like on TNT. MPT, yeah, uh-huh. he made. He said, "Hey, I'm not a close friend of Kobe. He's all, but you know, it's Kobe's league. It was Kobe's league for the last." He's all, you know, like, shout out to LeBron and Tim Duncan and all these other guys. He's all, it was Kobe's league. And it, yeah. it really was. It really was. In terms of he played for the popular franchise. He was there on one team, that type of thing. Yeah. And he kind of mentioned what you're saying, that uh, Magic and Bird's importance. He said that he did say on air that Magic and Bird were the most important people ever to the league and that Jordan took it to the next level. So it goes back to what you're saying about the logo. People yeah. really don't realize, okay, nineteen like the difference between nineteen seventy five and nineteen eighty five. How much more popular oh, NBA yeah. basketball even, was? Even someone like like me, I know that like the, the NBA was exploded from the seventy from seventy five until Magic and Bird entered the league. It was dead. Yeah. If you watch the yeah. uh, Magic Bird, I think it was a thirty for thirty with Magic yeah. and Bird. Yeah. You you You'll watch that back, idea. you get yeah. a good idea what what that was all about. Um, so I think Barkley kind of touched up on that. He made yeah. some good points. I thought. Yeah. He, you know, he said I'm not his close friend, but he's always very cordial with me. Again, going back to respecting people, I think another big takeaway I got is um, Rick Fox's situation with King Rice. King Rice, you guys, is uh, the Monmouth University coach. He's played at Carolina with Rick for Dean Smith. They were good players, good college players. And, um, dude, Rick Fox was like, okay, I'm hearing this. This is a tragedy. Then... His phone is going off, and he's like, I'm not answering this phone. And then King Rice calling him, like, over and over, and he's like, wait a minute, this doesn't, right. it's not, like, right here. Because Rick Fox, people were reporting, or pe- yeah. people, yeah. not, like, reporters, but like, yeah. people were saying that Rick Fox was also on the helicopter, yeah. and that's kind of the little background yeah. to what you're bringing so up right now. So that kind of touched yeah. me, like, whoa. So Rick Fox's family's thinking he may be passed, then King Rice is calling them over and over. Again, they're the same age. You know, maybe they might be 47, 48, somewhere in that range. Um, and then he goes, oh, my God, you're alive. I'm so happy you're alive. You know, that was just uh, – it must have been a roller coaster of emotions for that family. And then I guess one of uh, Rick Fox's family members, and I think maybe Derek Fisher touched on this too, were always worried that – they will find out a family member died or a close friend died, like, over the media. Yeah. 
you know, that's so, man, that's, that well, was the main thing I want to make. Too. Those things happen yeah. because now in the age of social media with yeah. reporting, uh, unfortunately, people uh, put more emphasis on being first rather than being correct. Yeah. And even if, even if you're, you report something and you're wrong, yeah. Uh, there's no repercussions. Like yeah. you don't get like people don't get fired for being wrong, as we've seen with some USC football. A lot stuff. of stuff. No, it's like yeah, it's all yeah. yeah it, but like yeah. that's a good example. But yeah. all the time, it's just like yeah, the USC football thing is yeah. funny. I just I just that just clicked that yeah that. Uh, I mean, this is obviously a lot bigger and more yeah. important, but it's the same. But people ball game. people are able to just kind of tweet whatever they mm-hmm. want. They hear yeah. from a quote unquote yeah. source that they trust, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but if here's the thing, if if any young reporters are listening to this, I'm not sure yeah. if there are, but it's more important to be right, reporting yeah. you know correct information and being factual than it is to be first and wrong. Yeah. Um, Ronnie, let's let's yeah. before we bring on our first guest, let's transition into Morgan Wooten. Yeah. Um, like and you said, he passed excited. away on January 21st. He yeah. was the head coach at Damatha Catholic for 46 years. Yeah. Um, that's a long time. It doesn't happen yeah. very often. He was 88 years old when he passed. Um. They were mythical national champions, uh, what, five times? Yeah. Um, 33 Washington Catholic Athletic Conference titles, and that's a tough league yeah. to win uh, year in and year out. Yeah, if you follow the Fat 50, you know how tough that league is. Right now there's four teams nationally ranked in yeah. that league. That's Devin, you just saw one Saturday the Nike Extravaganza with, with Rancho pulling out Gonzaga. a post yeah. over Gonzaga. Gonzaga had beaten, um, you know, I'm sorry, Rancho Christian had lost to another WCA team, DeMatha, a week at earlier Hoopal. at Hoopal. Yeah. And DeMatha and or two other WCAC teams went 3-0 and against really good California teams yeah, yeah, that yeah. week. So you, if you follow up what we're doing, we talked about these teams before, how good they are. So this guy won 33 Catholic cha- you know, league titles in, in 46 seasons. The thing that resonates the most to me is imagine Devin, your high school coach, he coached in 2002, so he started in 1957. Jeez. And in 2000, he went into the Naismith Hall of Fame, like the Hall of Fame. Like the, the basketball so, Hall, Hall of Fame. Yeah. The basketball Hall, the one in Springfield, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. So imagine you're like, oh, yeah, that's my high school coach. Yeah, he's in the Hall of Fame, dude. That's crazy. Like, you know, and he's still active. You know, we talk in, about in, in high, high school. school. In high Not, school. He, he, like, he wasn't one of your retired. notes you wrote here, yeah. one of your notes you wrote here, he, yeah. he, he had multiple opportunities to go to the college oh, ranks. Right. Yeah. And he didn't. And we're going to talk about that's that. A, with, that's that's yeah. int- that's the crazy part to me. Yeah, we're going to talk about that with Coach Mike Jones, the Here's current Demathic yeah. coach, who we'll hopefully have on here in a few minutes. But yeah, uh, go ahead and say your point about here's, your saying. Well, here's you something else that's crazy. <laughs> Another <laughs> note yeah. you wrote. Yeah. Uh, he coached Demathic yeah. against a high school called Power Memorial. Yeah. They yeah. they won forty six to forty three, yeah. and Lou Alcindor was on that team. That's yeah. Kareem Abdul Jabbar for yeah. those who yeah. don't know who Lou Alcindor is. Yeah. Uh, that that's insane. They were riding a 71 game winning streak at that time. Power Memorial yeah, was, yeah. and uh, the team led by Morgan Wooten snapped that streak. And yeah. to to have a guy yeah. coach against Kareem. Lou Alcindor Kareem, Kareem in yeah. high school, and then be coaching you know our generation yeah. of players, yeah, in that that's yeah. Unimaginable. Yeah, what are you going to tell your coach? Not no, you're wrong, coach. What do you? No, coach. You're, that's like a yeah. that's like a John Wooden kind of thing, it's right? At the high school thing. level. Yeah, and he was respected on that on that level. So he, we had Sonny Vaccaro on last week. Sonny chose him to coach his first national all star game in 1965. 
Sonny was at that game. One of our guests that we hope to have on later day, Bob Gagan, was also at that game. So that game was kind of a watershed moment to let the the influencers of high school basketball know that high school basketball is a big deal. Like, this can be big. In that game, there was the first salad ever at Cole Memorial Fieldhouse, University of Maryland. I mean, the, they were scalping tickets in 1965 for this game, Devin, like 25 bucks. I mean, how much is that now? Like, a, a, a 500? You know, like, first sellout. They played the year before it was a sellout. You know, so um, that's just amazing to me. Like you said, the two main things that I took away, like, you know, knowing and learning about Coach Wynn over the years is, like you said, he turned down multiple college jobs and that all his players – regardless of starter or a bench reserve guy all got scholarships somewhere in his tenure so i mean you know you play for for him and you're going to learn so much about the game and and have a chance to play at the next level right and we have a guy on the on the line now coach uh mike, mike jones from dematha catholic who played for uh, at dematha and has a relationship with coach wooten uh, or had a relationship with coach wooten um Mike, or do you have do you, do we have you? Yes, sir. Give us a little. I mean, I know it's hard to probably sum up the impact that he had on on your life, but you know, if you can, uh, give us a little breakdown of you know uh, what he ha- what impact he had on you and and why you kind of wanted to go into coaching potentially. Um, well, I mean, it was a privilege and an honor to play for him. Uh, I learned so much from him, but I mean, I'm I don't know how much you guys knew Coach Wooten, but just his ability to affect people beyond the game of basketball is one of the most just valuable traits that he had. And, I mean, he he made us all feel like we were smarter for just being in his presence. And, uh, I mean, he honestly, he inspired me. And, he, you know, so many of his former players have gone on to be coaches, um, me being one of them, and, you know, I cannot deny that it was because of the impact that he had on me and the influence he had on me. Gotcha, Coach. Um, Coach, when did you first know you wanted to attend DeMatha? And uh, did you kind of know that Coach Coach's stature when you first met him, that, that well, this guy's uh, really well-respected and well-known in the community? Did you know that at the beginning? Um, I, I definitely. I mean, if you grew up in this area, yeah. uh, you know, DeMatha was it. So... Um, and back, you know, before, you know, recruiting for high school and all of that was a thing. Like, just it seemed like every good player just wanted to go to DeMatha, even though there were other good programs in the area. Um, you know, DeMatha was the school to attend because of the, the, the streak that you guys just were talking about. Like, mm-hmm. I knew if I was able to be good enough and worked hard enough to be on DeMatha's basketball team that, you know, my family couldn't afford to send me to college, but I would have a good chance to have college paid for and that was what it was all about for me and my family and you know luckily that happened but I mean he was he was a star he was he was I mean if, if you wanted to be the best basketball player you could be you wanted to play for coach Wood. gotcha coach um obviously he like you said he you know his stature you know how what he means to to high school basketball in the area What's the first thing he told you or advice he gave you that kind of sticks with you, maybe coming in as a ninth grader? or What's the first thing he pulled you aside and said, Jones, I need you to do this, or Jones, you need to do that? You know, what's the uh-huh. what's the thing that sticks with you originally, the first thing? To be honest with you, I, I, I remember very little uh-huh. about lessons I learned as a player. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but I remember all the lessons that I learned as a person. Um, and coach was so good um, of a teacher that, you know, he would teach you things about playing the game that you wouldn't even know he was talking about basketball. It was about life. But it really just influenced everything you did. So, like I said, I, I, I remember very little about basketball stuff as a player. I remember plenty as a coach. But as a player, not much. But I, I, I know that every opportunity he got to work with me, um, it was about me being a better person, a better student, um, and just preparing me for life. Uh, coach, your junior year, you guys win the WCAC, but you're about 26-8. and eight, And then... The next year, you as a senior in 1990, 1991, you know, things changed. You guys uh, go un- unbeaten. So what changed there? Were you guys just more mature? What clicked and what worked on that team in 1991? Yeah, uh, so I don't want to throw anybody under the bus here. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, my my freshman year at DeMatha, my freshman team, we never lost. Mm-hmm. Never uh-huh. lost summer league, never lost during the season. Uh, my JV team, I thought I was good enough to play as a sophomore, but coach kept our core guys on the JV team, and we never lost. Never lost a summer league game, never lost. And going into our junior year, like, we finally lost a game in the summer, and it was new to all of us. Like, we, like it was the worst feeling in the world. Like, we really thought that every time we stepped on the floor, we would never lose a game. And about halfway through my junior year, um, we had three seniors on the team, all high-level Division One players. But I think we just expected them to do everything, I guess you could yeah. say. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we kind of got halfway through the season. We had lost some games, and we didn't like it. And I think we just got together. The younger guys on the team is just like, look, like, we're we're good enough. Like, you know, Coach wouldn't have kept us if we weren't. Like, let's – let's do what we know how to do. Let's play the way we've always played and stop deferring so much. And once we started doing that, we, we didn't lose. Um, and we, you know, the seniors kind of just went along with us too, because we were winning. So, you know, Vaughn Jones was a sophomore on that team in the class behind me. And if you look at the first half of the season, he might've averaged nine points a game. You look at the second half of the season, he probably averaged, you know, 25, 26 points. And it was, like, we all knew how good Vaughn was, so we would just, like, give Vaughn the ball, get out of the way. Yeah. And, uh, like, it, it worked out for us. Yeah, obviously he, uh, for people that don't know, that that team went undefeated 30-0. and uh, The JV went undefeated. The freshman team went undefeated. And I think Vaughn hit a shot in the city title game to beat Dunbar. I think you guys were down, right, in the fourth quarter? Yep. Pretty, we pretty big. We were 17 at halftime. Wow. And people were laughing at us. <laughs> like, people. Like, people were like, yeah, we had a tough schedule that year, but, you know, in the D.C. area, it was like, hey, you guys really haven't played anybody. Like, you know, you've kind of hidden from competition. And when we were down 17, it just validated all the thoughts that people had about us, and it pissed us off. Like, at halftime, yeah. you know, our locker room was probably like any other the master locker room had ever been at halftime, so... Uh, Coach, a little trivia here for our, for our West Coast listeners. You know, DeMatha played across the country by the 70s. They were well-known. You know, they went to big events. And they never played in California until your senior year. And that wasn't really originally supposed to happen. You guys were supposed to play in Arizona. And then you guys, Wayne Moreno, the coach at Artesia, brought you guys to an event here in, in Southern California. You know, what What do you remember about that, uh, playing against Eric Meek? He went to Duke, and you guys played Artesia. Do you kind of remember anything about those games? 
Oh, I definitely remember. I have family out yeah. there, so that was the first time my family uh, was able to see me play basketball at any level. Wow. So that was cool. Um, you know, we got to meet. We practiced at UCLA, so we got to meet John Wooden. Uh, he came into one of our practices because um, he and Coach uh, Wooten were very good friends. So that was pretty cool because, obviously, you know, just his yeah. success as a coach. Um, and then we had two very high-level games. Like, we beat Eric Meeks' team pretty easily, but the Artesia game was a game in the 50s where every possession counted, you know, great crowd. I don't remember the halftime dunk contest because I was in the <laughs> locker room. Yeah. But, um, it was unbelievable uh, in terms of an atmosphere, and they yeah. had James Cotton. They yeah. had Devondre Jones. They had – I mean, they had players. And yeah. And, like, it was, it was a great game. I remember that like it was yesterday. Yeah, it's funny because you told me before – I think when you were out at Torrey Pines, you kind of remember – one of the things you remember was just Shea Cotton being in seventh grade, just dunking <laughs> like before the games or at halftime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's kind of what I was laughing and about. Like, yeah, and we were like, man, what, what, what position he plays? And they were like, no, he's in the seventh grade. Brother. <laughs> yeah, he's James' brother. So. Yeah, that's a funny thing. And obviously he went on to have, be a really good high school player. Uh, obviously Joe Wooten, who's now the coach at Bishop O'Connell, and obviously coach's son, played on your team now was he a senior in 1991 yeah we have the same class got it so he you played, guys are... played freshman together played jv together played together. gotcha so coach joe wooten did you guys ever talk about coaching uh before it happened or how did that absolutely. you know okay absolutely we we talked about that when we were in high school wow um, we talked about it in the summers when you know we would work camps together so you know it was almost something that you know i kind of knew that you know, again, I'm just like every other young kid. I thought I was going to play basketball until I was 40 years old and mm -hmm, have yeah. a 15-year NBA career and all that. But I did know that once I stopped playing that I did want to be a coach. Um, I think Joe decided much earlier than that that he wanted to be a coach as well. So, I mean, it just became a, a thing where we we said we were going to coach. And, you know, everybody thought, even I thought, that Coach uh, Joe would be uh, coach's replacement here and that we would coach together here, and then I would probably just go on to be a college coach or whatever. But, you know, things happen the way they did, and, you know, I've, I've been able to be blessed enough to work with the young men we have here at DeMath. Uh, coach, talk a little bit about a few years later, like you said, Dwayne Simpkins goes on to college. He goes to Maryland. Vaughn Jones goes to college. Now you guys are all finishing up college, and then Coach Wooten gets inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame in 2000 but he's still coaching so what what was that like you know as your what was the reaction of the demath community and just what was that like when he's still an active coach and then he gives a speech at the hall of fame well again you got to remember you're talking about someone who yeah. in our mind like was the absolute best yeah. ever yeah um no disputing that you know to us around here and yeah. everything he did was special so him being inducted while he was still coaching wasn't an eye opener to us because it was like, well, what took them so long? Yeah. And one, and then two, um, you know, us knowing that he was the first guy to go in as just a high school coach, like nothing yeah. else on mm -hmm. his resume other than coaching high school kids. And but again, in our mind, that's you know he deserved it. So we were all just incredibly proud. Um, and then being able to, I think that was my second year on his staff, being able to go up and be at Hall of Fame, um, be present uh, when he gives his speech. And then during his speech, 
you know, he tells everybody that ever coach or play for him to stand up and to see so many people stand up in the audience. It was it was unbelievable. But again, a true testament to who who he is and who he was. Yeah, I imagine that was a a, a big celebration, a great moment. Now, obviously, coach is eighty eight years old, so you kind of look like, hey, you know, you're celebrating his life. Obviously, he passed on the twenty first, but and you guys had the funeral last Monday. But did 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 that change? Did it become a, not a celebration once you guys kind of heard what happened with Kobe Bryant? Did that change the mood of the whole thing? Or no, it, you know, he's still coach. He's, he's 88 years old. He lived a great life. Or was that just an unfortunate timing? It was tough. Yeah. Uh, I know when Coach first passed, it was all about, hey, you know, it's not like we didn't see this coming. Like, yeah. you know, his family yeah. has prepared everybody, you know, so it was supposed to be a true celebration. I think we did a good job of keeping it that way. But uh, obviously with Kobe passing, um, that just threw everybody for like, it was just like, what is going on here? Yeah. Um, and, you know, as we, you know, Saturday night, we had a viewing here for Coach. That was great. Sunday, we had a viewing here for Coach, but that was after everybody had heard about Kobe. So that kind of changed the mood a little bit. Monday was the funeral. We, I think did a great job to celebrate Coach's life. But then after that, especially my kids who, you know, are growing up looking up to Kobe so much, you know, and I hate to say it, but I mean, maybe even so much, a little bit more than Coach Wooten yeah. because he's more their age. And, mm-hmm. You know, some of these guys weren't even born when Coach coached his last game, but clearly were born throughout Kobe's career. So they, uh, it, it, it hit my players really hard. Like they, 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 they took Kobe's passing very, very, very hard, hard. Um, yeah, I can imagine they did. Again, you know, sometimes we forget how much time has passed. You know, he, 2002 is already 18 years. So, yeah, your players are 15, 16, 17, and it makes sense that that that's how they felt. You know, obviously, here us being in LA was a it was I mean it was kind of hard to describe. It was just a, a foggy day, a foggy week. So you know, it was it was hard. To, hopefully, we get back on track here. So. You know, last thing I wanted to ask you before we let you go is like, you know, there's a statement that that coach kind of abides by or lived by it was God, family, school, and basketball. Uh, what does that mean to you, and how do you use that in your coaching and your everyday life? Well, coach was, you know, again, he was always teaching, and you know, if anybody that knows coach, just knows that he was big on priorities. So he, like, that was something we put on T-shirts for our camp. We've you know, had around our school. And then now since coach's passing is something that, you know, kind of taking on a life of its own because we do truly believe that, you know, whatever faith you have, like that faith should be the most important thing to yourself. And then even before school, your family has got to be second most important. And, you know, for all our guys, all the great student athletes we have here, you know, that school coming before the basketball or the sport, um, was always incredibly important to coach, and that's something he said, but he truly lived and preached. So um, for us, you know, growing up as a DeMatha basketball player now being a DeMatha coach, it's something that we reinforce all the time. You know, we, you know, our kids qualify because we make sure when they step in the door, they know that these are your priorities here as long as you're going to wear a DeMatha jersey, that basketball is never going to be any higher than four. Like, you have a family thing that you need to attend to like we're going to make sure that your family knows that they have our support 
Um, you know, you know, your teachers have something that you need to do. The teachers are going to know that they have our support. And, you know, I, that, that formula has been so successful uh, over the 46 years that Coach Wooten coached here. It's in, you know, this is year 18 for me. Like, it's clearly withstood the test of time and no need to change it. And we're going to keep, you know, plugging along because that will always be Coach Wooten's legacy. And as long as there's a DeMatha Catholic High School, uh, that will be our student-athletes' priorities. Coach Mike Jones, we appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck to you the rest of the season, man. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Yep. Ryan, do, it, it's crazy to hear, uh, you know, teams have um, or programs have a guy like that who uh, um, has been in the program, been in the community for that long. Yeah. How, how, do, you, how, how do you go about, you know, keeping that spirit alive how do you go about um you know making sure that uh the the new crop of players um understands what that coach what that person meant to basketball not only in that community but as a whole across the country yeah is it a history thing is it uh you know you know you know uh, like you said putting the the uh moniker across the 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 team or, or having a having a coach who was you know w- uh, you know in that community himself as a yeah. player carry on that legacy. I think what would for most of the kids there, Devin would what would resonate is some of their dads and uncles played for him, and, or maybe even their grandfather. So that'll kick in. Mm-hmm. You know, the people they know. And our next guest, when we get it, when we get him on, Mark Stern, who who works for CapitalHoops.com, will maybe fill us in a little bit about that. You know, from a ground level, but. Um, yeah, I think if coach has been there that long and coach, they've only had a one coach for what? 66 years. That's two coaches. 66 years. Yeah. So that's going to be ever you know, that's going to have a huge impact because that's not something we can relate to here. It'd be like similar if, um, similar if Jason Quinn coaches at modern day or something like that for the next 20 years. That's what I was going to ask you. You know what I mean? Like it has to be somebody like that outside of, you know, like. A Gary McKnight, yeah. who's been at Modern Day for yeah, I don't know since 1983. Since 83. Yeah, um, is there another high school coach in Southern California before yeah. McKnight that had that sort of impact that you can remember? Um, well, Coach Leduke has been a coach for a long time. But yep. He's coached at more than one school, right? You know, so I don't think it had like you said the same impact, right? Um, you know, not really. I guess Coach Willie West. Coach that's at, at Crenshaw of. for a long time, but he enjoyed success right away, and I think his his success kind of put him to the forefront. I'm not sure he had um, maybe the you know kind of reach that Coach Wooten had, maybe because of the timing he came after Coach Wooten. Okay, there is some other coaches out there who maybe have an impact in their community. But for whatever reason, he had a national impact. It might be with the timing. And like you said, uh, Willie West never played a, and beat a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar where everybody knew, like, oh, my God, this is a big moment for this sport or, yeah. like, this level of sport. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing, you know. Er, Willie West came into Crenshaw in 1971. There are some other few coaches that, you know, Coach um, Lou Savanovich at Oxnard Santa Clara was the, like a staple in that community for a long time, but they're not. They don't have the national reach of like a Dematha, you know. 
Um, I think it made a big difference when, like, a lot of his players started reaching the NBA, playing in the Olympics. Like, the 1976 Olympic team had Austin Carr and Adrian Dantley, like, two of the guys. Uh, you know, later Jim Valvano, North Carolina State, their backcourt with both, you know, um, Derek Wittenberg and Sidney Lowe both went to DeMatha. So it's just a matter, I think, where the guys ended up and how much guys they got out that made a difference. You know, think, obviously, uh, like, Crenshaw had Marcus Johnson and good other players, but I'm not sure that they consistently, you know, played across the country and had that type of success. You think you know? Ed Azam has, will have that sort of impact when he retires? Um, you know, I think he might have that impact locally. Locally, okay. And I just think Ed is more like an everyday guy, meaning sure. you show up to work and you do your job and you do it good and you play hard. You know, um, for whatever reason, I think Morgan had a big reach. Maybe, again, we, we haven't got to this point. Is the And I think that's how you can differentiate between Gary, McKnight, Willie, some of these other guys we mentioned, is that when... Sonny Vaccaro, last week's guest, started his national game. He picked him as his coach. When okay. Bob Gagan started the Capital Classic, the first coach he reached out to was Morgan Wooten. When Gagan started the McDonald's game, the selection committee was spearheaded by Morgan Wooten. So I get that, you. that makes sense. That impact. That's a good way to national, differentiate. Yeah. That's yeah, what I was na- trying to get at. Yeah, like a national impact where this people know him. And then when you if you watch some uh, McDonald's games like in the 80s, even the early 90s. And you see, like, a guy, James Brown, who went to the CBS Sportscaster, who went to DeMatha, and yeah. he's kind of, like, pointing out his high school coach, and they interview him at halftime of, like, a nationally broadcasted game. That has a big reach. Mm-hmm. You know, people know who he is. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you just see a couple high school games a year, or you watch the McDonald's, and you kind of say, well, who he spearheads this committee? I think people know that name. Especially he's connected to John Wooden, because John Wooden's kind of, like, the chairman for a long time, or the chairman of the McDonald's game, and he... And Wooten spearheaded the selection committee, so I think those two guys were always intertwined, and that that has a big reach when you're con- when you're connected to the McDonald's game and you're connected to John Wooden. That yeah, yeah that's hard. <laughs> right, to, that's yeah, that's yeah. that's a worldly kind of impact. Yeah, he had a big impact. So we're gonna get our next guest, Mark Stern, up to talk a little bit about that impact. Gets yeah. a lower on the ground, a grassroots feel to, uh, you know, what kind of impact Coach Wooten had there in the DMV and Mark kind of like us, Devin, he's kind of like you. He goes to games every other night. He's, I feel bad know, for Mark yeah, going to yeah, games every other yeah. night. Hopefully he goes to some better yeah, games ben, than I pick. Yeah, he sometimes. goes to better games than you do. <laughs> sees better action, but you know, we kind of wanted to get his, his take of what he sees. Mark, are you there? I am. How hey, you doing? Thanks for joining yeah. us, man. We appreciate you. Uh, we, yeah, I go to a lot of, I go to a lot of games, man. And sometimes I'm just like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, you're blessed. You're in a pretty good area to see some good some good ball day in and day out. Yeah, uh, Mark, please please give us some um, our, our listeners some kind of background on uh, how revered and how big uh, Coach Morgan Wooten was in the DMV. I mean, I I would just call him the Godfather of basketball in the DMV. Every coach, every coach in the DMV seems to have a story about Morgan Wooten, mm-hmm. whether they knew him directly or they had an assistant on their staff who played for him or who played against him. I mean, it was, it was, it was quite overwhelming just to hear from so many different areas, you know, whether it was in the, in the WCAC or in one of the surrounding counties, uh, around, you know, around the, the, the DC metropolitan area, 
it just seemed like so many people from so many different like facets of basketball had, had some story where they could relate to him or they went to his camp or their father went to his camp. It was just, it was, it was, it was, it was amazing. It truly was. Mm-hmm. Now, Mark, um, you got your website off the ground during Coach Mike Jones' uh, era more, you know, the last 18 years. We had uh, Coach Jones on a little earlier. But you were able to watch a, a Morgan Wooten coach team. You know, what's your lasting impression of uh, DeMatha team under Coach Wooten? I, I mean, I just think he is synonymous with winning and putting, like, getting kids to the next level. There was a staggering stat that I read in an article in the Washington Post that for, I want to say it was 20 consecutive years, every single senior who played for him got a Division One scholarship, or not a Division One, got a basketball scholarship. Yeah. And to think about that, I mean, there were stories of people who said they got, they, they got scholarships to the next level that had no business playing on those teams, but those colleges just wanted to have you know, the allure of having a DeMatha guy on yeah. the team. And there was like this prestige that came along with it that is just, I, I mean, think in this day and age, I mean, obviously in this day and age, that's probably impossible to, to pour out players at, at that at that rate. But just to, to kind of put that in perspective, I don't know, that, that just really stuck with me as something that is a real testament to, you know, a, a Hall of Fame coach who kind of, kind of did it at, at such a, such an alarming rate to have players churn out like that is just truly amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting that you mentioned that. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've I've read about that before when I was learning more and more about high school basketball. And like you said, I think you know colleges wanted to, you know, curry favor with coach because they obviously knew he was going to have good players down the line. I mean, you want to get another player, you want to keep that going. That's yep. first and foremost. He has so many guys at the college level. So he has so many connections. And then the next thing, interesting, one of his former players became a coach at Colorado, and I, re- I remember reading something where he was saying, you got to be careful recruiting a DeMatha guy because that guy is playing to his peak at his, like, at the high school level. He's playing as good as he might ever play, and which is kind of a testament of Morgan. Like, he got his guys up and ready for big games. They played a lot of big games. That was always a bullseye for other teams, especially when they played in all these out-of-state tournaments. So the college coach, he was kind of mentioning, hey, you got to be careful when you recruit DeMatha because those guys are playing to the maximum of, the, of their ability under him. You know, they, obviously a great player is like Adrian Danley is a great player, but I'm saying some of the other players they may have had. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a, that's a real I, – I haven't heard that before, but that – you know, it, it, it makes some sense, but it's, yeah. you know, it, that's very interesting. Yeah, you know, Coach Jones has been coaching there 18 years, and he kind of mentioned that some of his players, like he does, first and foremost, does everything to keep alive Coach's legacy and what he stood for and, and what his pillars. So from your take from somebody in the media and somebody a little younger um, and somebody that's more of our age and, and Devin's age as well is do you – do the current players kind of know how special DeMath is and the WCAC is, or are they just kind of looking for the best competition they want to get a scholarship? Like, what's your feel when you talk to players, interview them, you know? How, do they kind of get that, or is, is time just going on like anything else? I think I think they definitely understand that DeMatha is different, mm-hmm. and the WCAC as a whole is different. Um, 
you know, so something something that's that's really interesting. I, I feel like a lot of the a lot of the teams that are nationally ranked, yeah, they they gear up and they get ready for these big showcase events. Yeah, and that's kind of like their creme de la creme. That's like the peak of their season is going sure. to cancer research, going to City of Palms, going yeah. you know going to these big things. Sure, but if you ask if you ask anyone in the WCAC, player or coach. They will tell you their biggest games are their biggest conference games. The Matthews' biggest games every year are Gonzaga, Paul the Six, St. John's, and yeah. vice versa for all those teams. And that's very unique, you know. Yeah. If, if you were to if you were to poll the top, whatever the top 10, 20 teams in the country, almost all of them would tell you their biggest games are either Dicks or. You know, yeah. the championship at, at, at these big things. And it's yeah. just not like that for the WCAC. Now, the yeah. WCAC loves those games because they're resume builders and it gives them a look at, at, you know, some top competition from outside the league. But every coach and every player will tell you that winning a WCAC championship is the ultimate goal, like, at, you know, times 10. So much more important than anything else. And I think that, that really is a testament that, that answers your question is – these these kids understand that WCAC is so important. I mean, to be able to play night in and night out, and you know, it goes. I just named four WCAC teams a minute ago, but it goes way beyond that. I mean, there's sure. there's been so many big upsets this year. I mean, a team like McNamara upset Paul the Six earlier this year. You got teams like O'Connell who have been in that conversation. Yeah, O'Connell you know, did well. I mean. Modern day is has won. Um, Modern day here in California has won over thirty straight league titles, and their league titles kind of on the line this week against St. John Bosco. But I mean, O'Connell beat them. You know, I mean, yeah. beat them at Hoop Hall. So I mean, if they're in fifth place or fourth place right now, that that I, should. I don't. I don't, I don't are they even sixth place? <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if they're in sixth. Yeah. I, wow. I would. I would guess they're more like seventh or eighth. I'm not sure. But yeah. They're having. They're having a very down year. They had a lot of kids transfer out. Sure. And, you know, I think that win they had was a pretty monumental upset. I mean, you, I yeah. don't know if you saw their rea- I don't know if you saw their reaction in the locker room after that win, but it looked like I mean, it looked like they just won the Super Bowl. They're <laughs> dousing, the, dousing the coach and, I mean, it, you know, that's a big it, win it, for it, them, it, for sure. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah, for because sure. I mean, obviously yeah. Gary McKnight is one of those coaches who've been around many, many years. He has over a thousand wins. He might even be closing in on eleven hundred. He, you know, he might get to Morgan's number if yeah. he, if he stays around. So yeah, that that's a big win for a team in sixth place or whatnot in the league. So uh, you know, that's that's good perspective for our, our listeners. Um, now you attended Coach's funeral the day after Kobe's passing. Yeah. Uh, where was it held, uh, and how many people how many people were there or, or came through? You know. So it was at the Matha. It was at the gym that's named after Coach, yeah. uh, Coach and his wife Morgan and Kathy Wooten Gymnasium. Um, you know the whole Kobe thing was it was just such an odd. You know, like everyone in the DC area had been mourning Morgan's passing for you know sure. a week or so, and then the whole Kobe passing. Just, I'm not going to say it, it, it. People's attention kind of went towards that and away from and away from from coach but 
uh, you know, just naturally to, yeah. to have that on your mind as you're going to pay respects to Morgan was just, just crushing, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just such a, such a unique feeling. And I, it, you know, I, it's really hard to put in perspective, but it was, it was really difficult to, to be mourning, you know, coach as, as, as Kobe passes as well. But sure. you know, at the, at the funeral, I would guess there were close to maybe 1500 people. Yeah. Um, now they had a viewing um, where people came and kind of paid their respects and were able to talk to the family. They actually had three viewings wow. um, over the two days prior to the funeral. I went to one of those three, and there was a line of a thousand people just to get up there and kind of talk to his, you know, his late wife and his children and grandchildren. And there were tons of pictures of him, and there were three of these. So I'm assuming that there were way more people that came through those three sessions than there were at the actual funeral. Um, but like I said, I was only at one of them and it was probably a thousand people there. Gotcha. It, it seemed, it seemed like that was maybe more, had more of a gathering than the actual funeral, but the funeral was packed beyond capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Brown gave an amazing eulogy. Um, and you know, it was really special. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, you know, obviously a lot of former players were obviously there and people in the community. Uh, was James kind of a lasting speech or statement someone gave that you'll remember or did anybody else mention something in particular that you're going to take away from, from that day? I, I think James Brown was definitely that lasting speech that, that, that you know, that you'll remember. Um, yeah. You know, there were some DeMatha employees that, that, that also spoke, but, but James... You know, he's got that charisma. Yeah, and he's, that, he's on national TV speaking right, all the time. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of like built for that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he was funny, but not over the top. And, you know, he, he was just very, had a, had a great presence about him as he gave that speech. And I think a lot of people really, there was anticipation built around hearing his speech because you know, he, he ran a TV show with Morgan, uh, in the, I want to say, late 80s to late 90s called Fast Break. And it was a high school basketball TV show that McDonald's sponsored that was on, I think it was every Saturday morning at 8 or 9 a.m. And it was the two of them that did it together before James Brown kind of became the James Brown that we know. And so they built a great relationship. Um, You know, James had obviously played for Morgan prior to that, 20 years prior to that. Yeah. But, you know, they they had a really successful television show that they did together um, that, you know, a lot of people don't remember. Even people from this area, a lot of people don't remember, but I certainly do. I grew yeah, up watching I mean, Every other, every kid around the country is watching cartoons and kids in, in Washington are watching Morgan's fast break show. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the guy resonates so much, you know, like he touches so much aspects, especially with his relationship with the McDonald's game and then, you know, he's in the Hall of Nash Naismith Hall of Fame. I mean the list goes on and on. So uh Mark, we appreciate your insight and your input and uh, you know, we always thank and appreciate your coverage as we put together the Fab fifty and, and you know, watching those results and watching your coverage. Thanks, Mark. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I mean Devin, as you can see, the guy I mean he has a Saturday morning T V show with one of his former players sponsored by McDonalds, like you know He's just going to be a guy that touches so many people. Yeah, that's I mean that's high level stuff, Ronnie. Like yeah, like you, you said. don't see with high that with high school coaches. 
I think it's a lot of it's timing. He came at the right time. He's at the right school. Yeah. Um, yeah. We can talk a little bit about, you know, I know he wanted the Maryland job. Or he was really interested in the Maryland job. I think, as you kind of mentioned at the top of the show, him not taking a college job is like, wow. Why? You know, a surprising. lot of guys would jump on that. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you think like, like, now, like, you, like you said, like you mentioned, Jason Quinn, right? If he yeah. takes over Mar Day and has... Yeah. A long career at Modern Day. I'm sure he's had how many opportunities to go be an assistant coach somewhere. at the Division One level? Yeah, somewhere. Yeah, and obviously point. he hasn't taken that yeah. that that opportunity yet because maybe he sees something we don't yeah. at Modern Day once uh, once Gary decides to to retire. Um, sure. For our listeners, Ronnie, uh, this is an important thing for me. What what style of play did Coach Morgan? Wu- I didn't yeah. see one of his yeah. Demathe teams play. So, what was his style of play? What was his coaching style? I, I, I want to know. I'm curious. Yeah. Um, I think as, uh, emphasis on fundamentals. Okay. Two hand chest pass. Catch the ball with two hands. Move and cut. It sounds like a good old fashioned <laughs> Devin Uglin basketball <laughs> yeah. game, baby. You know, like I think he would get good joy out of watching this year's Corona Centennial team. Okay, but. Maybe with slightly less three point shooting. Obviously, <laughs> Interesting. You know, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, be, I'm sure he would adjust and, oh, yeah, I have yeah. Jared McCain, you know. Right. We're letting that, that guy shoot. Right. Yeah. Let that thing fire away a little bit. Um, they played good team defense. Uh, he had size. He always had good, strong players. So, okay. Similar to a modern day. Like, how often does a modern day, how often is modern day the weaker team physically? Not that often. Not that, you know. No, not, no, not, not that, that often. often. Like, you know, Maybe strong. Maybe in recent things. years. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a little less yeah. to the point where they've had like a six yeah. eleven, like an uh what was what was old boy's name? Alex Jacobson. Yeah. A guy like that, or a Jamal Sampson, or yeah. a six four guard like Cedric Bozeman. Yeah. Um but I, I get what now, you're he's saying. He had yeah. high level talent, but he also had a lot of teams. Um I give you the two teams that went undefeated, nineteen ninety one. Throw some names at yeah, us. Yeah, uh with 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 Coach Jones, you know, George Washington, Dwayne Simpkins went to Maryland. He was a solid player. Vaughn Jones was a good player. But they weren't, you know, Adrian Dantley or Danny Ferry. You know what I mean? They weren't. Okay, so Andy, Danny Ferry went yeah, to the Matha, right? Yeah, his dad, Bob Ferry, uh, you know, who was a longtime NBA GM. Yep. His brother played there, Adrian Jeez. Branch, who's on television. Yep. Yep. If you ever watch him on, like, ESPN's, like, ESPNU. Yep. Um, Austin Carr, like I said, Adrian Ann, I guess, was the first four-year starter. Um, John Carroll, who played and played college. Obviously, all these guys played college because all of them played college. Every player played college. But he worked for ESPN for a while. Um, I believe he went on to work in the NBA. And then, you obviously, Danny works in the NBA with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I mean, the amazing yeah. thing to me, Ronnie, yeah. uh, being someone who doesn't know the history yeah. like you do or like some other people do and not yeah. growing up in that era is yeah. – not only did these guys play college basketball, but they're involved in the game, Still, whether it's yeah. coaching, whether it's analysis, whether yeah. it's play-by-play, whether it's yeah. being a commentator or being in an NBA front office. It's just like guys who played for Morgan Wooten end up staying in the game for the long haul. Yeah, and they're successful, and they obviously they seem to take um, you know education pretty serious. And the, the, the point I finished on about his second undefeated team, which is 70 778, they didn't have a star either. They uh, Wittenberg and, and Sidney Lowe, who started for Valvano, yeah. came off the bench. Wow. And as juniors, and then they, they became starters in 79. Um, they had like Paul DeVito, like good college players, but guys uh, similar to 
some of the players that I know we keep mentioning modern day that they had. So it's the comparable on this. Yeah. That's the comparable on the West Coast is modern Correct. day, right? Correct. Because not everybody, they don't have multiple NBA mega stars. Yeah. You know, they just good college players. And a lot, you know? a lot of the good high school teams who have long-term yeah. success don't often yeah. have like yeah. high-level NBA guys. No. Right? Yeah. No, they don't. You know, whether you talk about our guy, Kate Reinhardt, um, Coach Mike Hopkins at Washington, yeah. um, Tommy Dylan, Lewis, yeah, Dylan Rigdon. You know, I don't. That's okay, a name yeah, I don't yeah, know. He played at UC Irvine and, and for Arizona. Mike Garrity was a yeah, solid, good four-year player. player. Yeah. Besides, you take away, um, as you mentioned, the Bozeman and Samson, and Tommy Lewis was like a state player of the year. Modern yep. day, he hasn't had a overabundance of. Of oh this guy's going to be a surefire NBA player. I mean Stanley Johnson, Johnson yeah. we thought was that guy. Yeah, you know, and that's similar to Demath. It's every year they didn't have the overwhelming like oh he's going to go to the NBA okay. player. Um, even their they're the team that beat um, a Power Memorial. They had good five good college players. You know Sid Sid Catlett. You know they just were good college players. <laughs> I don't know how you remember yeah, all this yeah. stuff, dude. You know they had an iron, <laughs> but they called them the Iron Five, and I guess they they the the backstory here is. I'll give you a good story for it. Is I'm always up yeah, for a Ronnie story. Is uh, my, in high school we're playing first round of the playoff city foray against Crenshaw. Crenshaw is the number one seed. They're ranked like fifth or sixth in the country. We know they're big. We know they're going to beat us by a lot. Okay, how do we keep this game close? How do we prepare? Right. And um, my coach, I had to know at the time. He goes, "Well, he got a broomstick." He goes. <laughs> Now oh, this is yeah. setting up really good. Yeah, yeah, because their starters were Rico Laurie, who you know. Yeah, no Rico. Yeah, yeah, Rico, Chris Johnson, Tremaine Folks, Reggie McFerrin, who was the two. He's about six five, and Leon Watson. This is so Crenshaw. Leon y- is young 6'10". Ronnie Flores yeah. had no chance on yeah. this one. Leon is six ten, so they had a, a four or three or two and a one. Rico's they were all one. like six five yeah, plus. Yeah, 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 six five plus plus Rico's six two. So he goes, Leon's gonna block your guys' shots. So we need you guys to shoot with arc. Shoot good shots. So he pulls out the the, the broomstick, right? And he's squatting like, everything. <laughs> and we're pissed off, right? We're we're like this guy, like, and it was good preparation for that game. And in that game, we played at Crenshaw. And at that time, Devin in the eighties and maybe into the early nineties, Crenshaw had an NBA summer league there. So they had the NBA three point line. Oh, okay. So our, my my good friend Sean Brame, he's shooting from the NBA three. <laughs> he's just seeing the line. He's shooting, yeah, 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 and yeah. we're not getting like, anything done. What are you doing, done. bro? Yeah, we're not getting anything done. We're down forty nine nine seventeen like real fast, and they went on to beat us. But you know, for Leon Watson, he prepared us with that with that broom, and a lot of coaches have done that. They got that from Morgan Moon because he did that with the with the racquetball for Lou Alcindor oh, okay. in that game. And it's a well known, interesting like yeah, yeah. fact that you know coaches will pull out a broomstick or something to kind of emulate a big jo- a, a big man who's you're gonna face. And at the time, I didn't know that was from from him, but that's uh-huh. from Morgan Moon. And they have the racket up up at Damatha in the in the trophy case, like with the date of the game and how big of a moment that was. Because the year before, they like they played Dema- uh, Power Memorial the year before, and, and Lou Hussender had like 37 in like 10 and beat him. So they came back and, and rematched them again. Wow, and, and beat them. So this, that's and and that leads into our, our next guest, and kind of leads yeah. into what we're saying. Give us some background on our yeah. next guest, right? Yeah, uh, Bob Gagan, who's Bob Gagan, who's the McDonald's Capital Classic and McDonald's All American Game founder. He was at that Power Memorial Demathe game, as was Sonny Vaccaro. I don't know if they knew each other. I don't even know if they knew Morgan Moon. I guess we're going to find out. Now, obviously, Sonny went there on a recruiting trip. He's having his national game. Obviously, he wants Lou Alcindor. 
Of course, you know. Obviously. He can't get to him. Lou has the handler. Oh, yeah. yeah Lou's got, you know. Hey, handlers, handlers, handlers aren't just are, now. They're, yeah, yeah. They've been around for a long so time. who was Sonny Vaccaro, a young 25-year-old promoter right. trying to get a game together? He right. couldn't get Lou, but he got to meet Morgan, and Morgan coached in his game, and he brought his two best players in that first uh, round ball Dapper Dan Classic in Pittsburgh. So I think Morgan had had that game with Lou and DeMatha. Bob Gagan and, and Sonny Vaccaro kind of knew, hey, wait a minute, there's something here, Devin. It's not just a high school game down, you know, down the street. We got something here. If we can duplicate this or replicate this or carry this on, Sports Illustrated was there, Time Magazine, you know. All the big-time publications. All the big-time publications yeah. there were there at that time. You could even watch the game on YouTube if you if you uh, search around for it. That game is on on YouTube. Just interesting to see how it was how it was done and um, – they did a hell of a job on Alcindor, held him with 16 points. And, you know, that that that, that tennis racket helped <laughs> out. Because yeah. they had good players, you know. Maryland had a guy going to Notre Dame. You know, they had five good college players, and they were able to pull out the win. So, um, you know, our next guest, Bob Gagan, you know, he started the Capital Classic a few years later where the DMV All-Stars played the National All-Stars. And... Um, do we do you know that was a, a big moment because it was a, another national all star game after Sonny Vaccaro's game in, in 1974. So, Mr. Gagan, are you are you here with us? I'm with you. How Alrighty. are you doing, sir? Appreciate you taking the time to get on. We're kind of giving the background of national all star games and 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 Morgan Wooten's <laughs> legacy and how that power to math the game kind of took high school basketball to the next level. And, and seven years later. You had your first Capital Classic. So uh, the first question we have for you is, did you know Coach Wooten when you went to that Power DeMatha game, or were you just an interested like everybody else? No, I didn't know him at that time. Of course, I was following high school basketball just as a fan. Yeah. But um, I went there just because of the hype that this seven-foot-one guy was coming down to play Morgan. And... Uh, was very interested because at that time there were very few seven foot high school players in the Washington DC area. Um, sure. I think, uh, when I, when I was in school, the tallest guy was six, three, and he was the center. And that was, that was, <laughs> in, the, that was in the late, that was in the late forties, early fifties. So wow. I went, I went there just as a fan. Interesting. You know, so obviously, yeah, it's not like he was just big. He was talented. I'm speaking of Lou, and he also was a big name. I mean, as you can recall, how big of a name was he really at that time, heading up into that 1965 game as a senior, uh, Mr. Gagan? How big was Lou? Try to give the audience a uh, perspective. Maybe maybe in, in uh, New York City, you know, yeah. he was probably well-known and covered uh, quite extensively, but... Uh, the news didn't travel as fast back in those days, <laughs> yeah. and and uh, he was, I had never heard of him before, to be honest with oh, you. Wow. Um, but you heard that he was a good player, and he was seven foot one, and you wanted to well, well, check well, that out. Yeah. Well, the publicity in the paper, um, like anything else, drew my attention, and the fact that they uh, Morgan had lost to them the year before, and um, so. This was kind of a rematch, and uh, Morgan was trying to explain to the 
to the newspaper people that uh, he was training his uh, his players to to play with tennis rackets mm-hmm. uh, so that they would learn to shoot high arching shots so that Lou Alcindor couldn't block them. <laughs> So I was just intrigued just as a fan of high school basketball to go see this game at Cole Fieldhouse. I did not know at the time that it was going to be sold out. Uh, It was written up in the press uh, just like I got a lot of publicity in the paper when I did the game in 74 and Moses Malone was coming to play in my game, the first Capital Classic. Uh, I think that triggered a lot of people to come to the Capital Classic because – of the publicity that Moses got. So in 65, obviously, uh, it captured a lot of fans interest enough to sell out Cole Fieldhouse to yeah. see this uh, this giant of a player that nobody had maybe seen before. What were your initial takeaways um, from Lou Alcindor as a player from that 65 game? Well, obviously, Morgan won the game. It was yep. low scoring. It was 46 to 43, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh and it was kind of a defensive battle, and I don't remember how many points Lou Alcindor scored, but it wasn't a whole lot. It was 16, uh, right? Yeah, I think maybe 16. I, yeah, I don't have the box score from that from that game, but I just remembered that uh, the fans were all in it for Morgan, of course, and the, lo- and the local team. So the, the fans were really interested in the game, and they were really pumped up during the game, and the closer the game was – the more fans were cheering uh, Coach uh, De- DeMatha on, and yeah. so it was a thrilling it was a thrilling event. And he did not impress me from a standpoint of wow, this guy is the greatest player I've ever seen. Okay, wow. but uh, he was he was taken out of the game, so to speak, a little bit. Yeah, I don't know whether Morgan slowed the game down a lot uh, to keep the score low. Uh, but his strategy worked, <laughs> and uh, and uh, it got a lot of publicity, and it launched Morgan and DeMatha into the national spotlight because at that time, I don't think very many um, – I mean, obviously, USA Today wasn't around, the Internet wasn't around, and I don't know if there was a, somebody out there that ranked teams, but that kind of launched him into the national spotlight and made uh, DeMatha a national – power across the country mm-hmm, people yeah. heard, about, heard about it i imagine that uh it, you know i i was at the game so i don't know how much coverage it got on tv if any but obviously uh, that launched the math into the national spotlight yeah mr gagan um sonny vaccaro was at that game as well who's who, who was trying to get lou for his game and Obviously, you guys both knew whether you knew each other it has no no consequence. But you guys knew it was a big time event, and how did that game influence you to do the Cap Classic with Moses nine years later? Did, did it spark no, your interest? No, did it no, pique your interest? No, no influence on me at all. Uh, I didn't know Sonny was at the game. Yeah. I didn't know much about the Dapper Dan. Sure. Uh, I wasn't planning on doing the Capital Classic at that time. So it really had no influence on me. I was just, I used to go to a lot of high school games. I grew up playing on the playgrounds. I was i was only five, I think five two when I was a freshman in high school. And uh, they wouldn't even let me try out for the team. So I was more i was more of a playground player. And I didn't grow to six foot tall until I was a senior. But, so I, I grew up on the playgrounds in D.C. at a place called Turkey Thicket where I saw 
Elgin Baylor and Dave Bing and a lot of the black players play uh, because the white schools were segregated at that time in 48, 49. Wow. And so um, I used to come back and tell, it was, I used to take my bicycle down to Turkey, think it was about a mile or so away from where I lived in Northeast Washington. And so I also delivered papers to make a little extra income. So I delivered the afternoon paper, not the morning paper. And um, the black schools were not covered as much. They didn't get the publicity and they, and of course, they had their own league. I mean, Cardoza, Spingarn, Eastern, a lot of those uh, public schools uh, were all black. They had no white players. And uh, my high school was all white, had no black players. And most of the uh, Catholic leagues didn't have black players at that time. Uh, well, maybe at that time in 65, yeah, because Morgan went, but one of the stories I wanted to tell about Morgan, the mayor, not necessarily the coach, but... Mm-hmm. He, uh, he he went to DeMatha in 1956, and that was the first year they had a basketball team. Wow. But, at, but at his funeral a week ago, when I was at the DeMatha gym, I learned uh, through the Internet and, and some other people that DeMatha actually opened up in 46, not 56. They started there with 18 students, and they didn't form a basketball team until 56. So Morgan... Um, I think John Austin was the first uh, African-American to play for Morgan at the Matha. Yeah. And he kind of uh, he kind of integrated the Catholic League uh, f- for the first time. And I remember he got a little bit of criticism for it uh, because he did have Sid Catlett in that 65 game. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, it was kind of unheard of at that time in, in 56 when he went there. Uh, so I just grew up watching Elgin Baylor Day bring. I used to uh, try to get into some of the games. I wasn't as good as they were, but I used to come back and tell people, you ought to see uh, the rabbit, as he was known on the playground. Elgin Baylor, I said, this guy's terrific. He can jump out of the gym. He's got moves I've never seen before. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, so that, that it was later on uh, around – early 70s that I got the idea because the uh, the Washington team did not have a uh, pro basketball team sure. uh, they had uh, I met Red Auerbach when the Washington Capitals I'd have to google when they were there but when I was out of the service and I was a young in my young 20s I used to go see the Washington Capitals, which was a Crow team. Red Auerbach was the coach before he got the coaching job in Boston. And uh, Bones McKinney, uh, Freddie Scolari, some of those guys were great players, but they played in about a 5,000-seat arena called Uline Arena. Uh, That was the only arena we had in D.C. And so I used to drive over to Baltimore to see the uh, Baltimore Bullets play. And Gus Johnson and those guys were great players in Baltimore, but they didn't sell out. But pro sure. basketball was not that big gotcha. back in those days. So um, a lot of things happened to the point where in 1973, I learned that A. Poland was going to move the Bullets from Baltimore to Washington, and he was trying to build a stadium in D.C., but because of politics, couldn't get it done. So he built the Capitol Center, and it opened in 73 in Landover, Maryland. Uh, 
So uh, because I had gone over to Baltimore many, many times to see, and I remember life was a lot different back in those days, uh, and it was easy to meet uh, A. Poland and Jerry Sachs and some of the people in the PR department and so forth and so on. And uh, it was easy to talk to him. And, uh, so I called A. Poland when he announced that he was going to build the arena. And I came up with the idea to do the Capitol Classic because of the historic uh, nature of great basketball players coming out of the D.C. area. Because Adrian Dantley graduated in 73, so he, yeah. couldn't, play, he couldn't play in the Capitol Classic. Yeah. But I said, with all the... Uh, you know, hotbed of basketball in D.C., why don't we try to start a game? And Morgan told me when I called him that uh, there was a game in Pittsburgh. Sure. He told me that he told me about Sonny Vaccaro. Yeah. In fact, Morgan may have coached in the first game. He did, that, yep. That Sonny did. So <clears throat> I just said, well, Morgan, do you think that um, the D.C. area is strong enough that they could compete if we could do a national? Because I think the the game that Sonny was doing might have been the only all-star game in the country yeah. at that time. And his was Pennsylvania against the U.S. So I said, and naturally I thought, well, let's just do a D.C. against the U.S. Yeah. And, and I said, do you think we have enough talent uh, in the D.C. area between uh, Northern Virginia D.C. and Prince George's and Montgomery County. That was the jurisdictions I was going to draw from. And uh, he said, yeah, I think we could. So that gave me the idea to, to do that first game. Yeah, uh, that obviously went on from there and grew. Uh, Mr. Gagan, how did you get a corporate giant like McDonald's involved in the Capitol Classic? And how and when did the concept of the actual McDonald's All-American game come into fruition? Well, you'll have to read that in my book when it comes out. <laughs> <laughs> great, great, great. Now, now, I'm just kidding because 99% of the people don't know the story. But basically <laughs> what happened was when I called Abe, uh, I'll tell you an interesting quick story. I don't know how much time we have. But All the time in the world. Because, Go ahead. Because, because I was uh, uh, going to a lot of Bullets games and uh, I was going to University of Maryland before they built Cole Fieldhouse. Uh, yeah. when uh, Gene Shue was there and wow. um, they never draw a lot and the and coaches didn't make a lot of money back in those days so they were easily approachable and talked to uh, and uh, so I just uh, kind of just got the idea that uh, maybe to start a, uh, a Capital Classic game I would I called Abe and got all the budgets put together how much he would charge how much it would cost me to fly the kids in, how much the hotel would cost, the referees, the staff. You know, I put a budget together. Sure. And uh, I came up with about, I think it was $50,000 to do the game. And I said, well, I'm not a rich guy, so I need to find a sponsor or somebody that will help underwrite it. And uh, McDonald's kind of came to D.C. in the 50s, I believe. And I used to go there. It was uh, five-cent hamburgers or something. It was... And they had a lot of teenagers that worked there. So I came up with the idea of calling the McDonald's people locally and asking them uh, for their support. I didn't know what to ask them. I didn't ask them for 50000 I thought that was a <laughs> yeah. lot of money. Sure. So I just said, uh, uh, and uh, the uh, when I called over there, they told me to talk to their agency, which was Needham Harper and Steers at the time. 
and I still know some of those guys that worked for the agency. I still know them today. But um, I went over there and I pitched them on the idea, and they said, "Well, that's an interesting idea, but there's, there wasn't the commercialization in sports like it is today." Sure. And they said to me, "Bob, we've never sponsored anything like this." Who's, what makes it, how do you know it would be successful? And I said, well, it's a, it's a 19,000 seat arena, so I don't know. I'm starting from scratch. And they said, well, who's going to run it? And I said, I hope that you guys would run it. You're a big organization. I'll just buy a ticket and watch it. And they said, no, 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 no. We're great at flipping hamburgers, but we don't know anything about, you know, running Run an a event. Game. Yeah. So, so you'll have to do it. And they said, how? Uh, and I said, well, let me think about that. I said, so we went back and forth for several months. Um, and uh, the truth of the matter is I got panicking about February because I set the game for late March. And I had uh, I had called Sonny Vaccaro because Morgan told me that uh, there was another game. And he said, you should check with Sonny to find out what his date is. Mm -hmm, so sure. I, I called Sonny. And uh, we talked on the phone, and he said, "Are you gonna? Oh, you're gonna start another all-star game like mine?" And I said, "Yeah." And he said, "I'm gonna come down to College Park, and I'll meet you because I know all the players. I'll help you get the players." I said, "Okay." Wow. So I wasn't wor I wasn't worried about getting the national team. I knew we could get the local guys, but um, so anyway, I was just worried about how I was gonna pay for all this stuff. And so finally, I went back to McDonald's, and I said, "You know what?" Um, I'll run the game for you and I won't charge you any money and I don't know what to charge you to be the title sponsor because I've never done this before and they say well that's what worrying is Bob You've never, you don't have any experience in doing this why do you think it'll be successful <laughs> yeah well, it's a, it's a it's a vision of mine. I think I think it will be, but I don't know how many people it will draw. So here's my deal: I'll work for free for the rest of the two or three months, and you just pay for any losses. Meaning, what I want you to do, McDonald's, is tag your radio spots, put a poster in every McDonald's. Um, it's a teenage. You have a lot of teenagers working at McDonald's at that time. It was the most popular thing for teenagers to do, and I said it's it's a teenage game. It's a teenage market that we're appealing to. I don't know who's going to buy tickets, but I need somebody that'll promote it, put ads in the in the paper, uh, you know, uh, and you'll be the title, and I'm giving it to you for free. All you have to do is pay for the losses. So for every ticket we sell. The fifty thousand goes down. Sure. And I said, so if we, depending on how many people we get, you may only have to pay what's left over. You know, what I mean, so that, and so we did it on a handshake. I didn't sign any papers, wow. and they said, all right, we like the idea. We hope it'll be successful. But I didn't realize at the time because ninety percent, maybe ninety-five percent of the people I was talking to. And maybe even Morgan said to me, Bob, why are you doing it at the Capitol Center? That's 19,000 seats. Yeah. I said, well, you know what? I said, we live in a world of perception. And I said, uh, if people don't perceive it, I could do it in a high school, uh, but, it, but it wouldn't be perceived as a big-time game. And because the Capitol Center is brand new, it's a beautiful facility, I said, I can send that package down to Moses Malone, 
and he'll if I sent if I told him it was going to be at Blair High School or something like that, I don't <laughs> know if he would get motivated to come. Yeah, you want Moses uh, to play in that first I, game. And I knew, and I knew that Sonny was doing his game at the uh, Pittsburgh Civic Center or something. So it was it was in a a smaller arena than the Capitol Center. I think it. I think he was only selling like nine, ten thousand, something like that. That was the most it could it could hold. So I said, we live in a world of perception, not reality. So I said, I got to do it there. Although I know it's going to cost a lot more, and if and they said they and they all begged me not to do it. They said, "Don't do it there. It's going to be embarrassing if you only draw a thousand or two thousand people. It'll look empty." Yeah. yeah. And I said, "Yeah," but I said, "I got to roll the dice. I got to do this. It's 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 the um, it's the vision I have, the dream I have. So I'm going to do it there." And unbeknownst to me, the Capitol Center people never told me this after I signed the deal, but they didn't believe it was going to draw more than two or 3,000 either. Wow. And, and so they only had one, they had four uh, box offices, uh, one on each uh, quadrant of the building, and I didn't learn until game time <laughs> that they only opened up one box <laughs> office uh, just to save on, on uh, personnel. Yeah, to save so, on costs. So, so the bottom line was McDonald's took a chance I took a chance, and in the end, when it was all over, I almost didn't get Moses Malone. <laughs> wow! Because in those days, you know, you just called, and I, you, you, I never talked to Moses directly. I talked to his coach, and unbeknownst to me, Sonny had invited to get Moses in his game. Yeah, he invited the coach to coach in that game. Mm. All right, so I didn't know all the little politics that were going on. Right, right, that, right. Yeah, Sonny had already done it for nine years. Yeah, I, I thought I thought that, that doing this would be a piece of cake. I learned later it's it takes a little bit more than that. So anyway, to make a long story short, um, the coach told me that Moses would play at first, but then he called me later and said that. Um, the state of Virginia had a rule that you could only play in one outside all-star game, and he had already committed to play in Pittsburgh. So he said he, if he plays in your game, then he will miss the state all-star game. So I said, well, when's the state all-star game? He said, it's in June. I said, how many people does it draw? He said, about 500. <laughs> I said, look, I'm going to send you all the information in the mail take a look at it because it was there was no fax machines back then sure. everything had to be done by mail so i sent him all the pictures of the beautiful capital center and i said let let him make up his mind whether he wants to play in the state game before 500 or before a big crowd i didn't know how many it would be but i said before a big crowd at the brand new place where the bullets play so um anyway the game, the game comes about. I, I, Sonny didn't want him to play in the game because he might get hurt and sure. not playing his game. And so sure. I found out that Sonny's game on the tenth anniversary was on the Sunday, and my game was going to be on Saturday. So I got to Capital Center, fortunately, because they didn't have they had a lot of empty dates because they had just moved there and they only had the uh, the, the bullets and some circuses and other things and. So I got them to move my date back to Thursday, so there would be enough time that I promised them I would fly uh, Moses up on Friday morning, right after the game, so he could be there for Friday, Saturday, and play on Sunday. Mm -hmm. 
though Sonny said, um, okay, uh, then I was getting uh, some pushback that uh, Sonny was telling uh, the people that he didn't really want to play in my game at all. Sure, he was, sure. He was, he was afraid he would get hurt. So so anyway, I called Morgan and said, look, I, I'm, I'm almost ready to sign this deal with McDonald's, but I don't have any players Yeah, for the U.S. team, and Sonny won't return my calls. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, Sonny had come down and met me at Lefty Giselle's Steakhouse on US 1 after I called him initially and told me, don't worry about the players, I'll get them all for you. So when he wasn't returning my phone calls in January, I got a little worried and called Morgan, and he said, call Howard Garfinkel. And yeah. I said, who's that? He said, he's in, he's in New York, he runs Five Star, he knows who the best players are. Yeah. And if Sonny won't help you, call Garf. So I called Garf and introduced myself to him. And fortunately, he had been helping Sonny get players for many yeah, years. of course. But he, he said that Sonny had ticked him off about something. And uh, so he said, I'm ready to help you. So sure. he, got me butch, he got me Butch Lee out of New York City. Yeah, good player. Went to Marquette. Yeah. I got the TV on here, man, so if you have a hard time hearing me, let me know. No, you sound good. You, you sound, sound good. good. Go ahead. Okay. okay. All right. So, uh, basically, he got me Butch Lee, and he said, because Sonny didn't pick him. Uh, and so I didn't know who Butch Lee was, but I said, okay. So then he got me um, Mike Phillips out of Ohio. Um, uh, and a lot of these players didn't know each other because they evidently didn't play, except maybe it's Garf's camp. Sure. But... Um, he lined up all, most of the players, uh, except for Moses Malone, because I told him I had been in touch with Moses, and uh, he, he, I think he did call Moses, but uh, anyway, we got a very good team put together in that first year, and uh, Rick Roby from Louisiana came, Yeah, and, and in fact, they were, uh, they were both 6'10 players, and they met at my game and decided to go to Kentucky together. Because I roomed them together, and that, that's a true story. Rick Roby and Mike Phillips met at the Cap Classic, later went to Kentucky under Joe B. Hall and won a, won a national NCAA championship Yeah, together. In 1978, Rick, yep. Butch Lee went to Marquette and won a national championship. Uh, so basically what happened that first year was we drew 11,000 people. Wow. There, were no, there were no losses. And so McDonald's got the game for free. Nice. They never paid me a nickel, and they never put a nickel out except for whatever they did to promote the game. Because I said, you know, put tray liners in the store, put posters in the store. Yeah. You know, all the people that are going there to eat, you know, we'll at least, we need to get, we, you know, you can't sell a Big Mac if you don't advertise it. Right. So I sure. said, we can't, we can't sell tickets to this event. And I think, uh, you know, being Irish, I think I'd rather be lucky than, than good. Yeah. And I did not know what the hell I was doing. I had no experience in it. Now you can get a degree in sports marketing and sports management. Mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, I, was, I was very fortunate uh, that I got help from Morgan and from Garfinkel and from several other people to get me the players. Nobody knew who the U.S. players were, not like today. Sure. 
they knew the local kids, and I think most of the people came out to support the local players. Mm-hmm. I think Kenny, I think Kenny Carr was on that team yeah. uh, that, that first year uh, for the local kids, and and I expected them to get beat because you know when you when you're playing against the ten best the best U.S. players that you could get, uh, there was no All American teams. Only uh, Parade Magazine at that time, I think, sure. produced uh, produced it. Uh, they did a forty man roster, but they never invited them to go anywhere. They just ran their pictures in the magazine. So I thought to myself, well, uh, let's see what happens the second year. Because McDonald's came to me and said, "This was great. Let's do it again." <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I said, "Well, now I took three months off of work to do this." <laughs> I, I, I got to have a little stipend to help me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now you're in the game. Now you can play ball with them a little bit, which is well, great. I wasn't yeah. trying to, I, I believe <laughs> me, it was very minimal amount, yeah. but I just said, look, I got to take off work to do this. And yeah. so I got to get some kind of an agreement with you. And they agreed to it. And uh, so that started a great, a great relationship. And the second year we drew 12,000. Mm-hmm. Wow. Nice. So it keeps growing. So let's go, Mr. Gagan. Let's go. Twenty years later, you you it you have eleven thousand plus the first year, twelve thousand second year. The McDonald's game starts in seventy eight. So twenty years later, or roughly, Kobe Bryant plays in the McDonald's game. Tell us a little bit about your interaction with him, and then your most fondest memory of like the Cap Classic and McDonald's. Well, basically, how the, I'll, I'll just jump ahead to where you first asked me, how did the McDonald's game get started? Sure. Uh, I, I started getting calls from uh, a lot of different places saying, hey, we hear you're drawing a lot of cr- uh, big crowds for this high school all-star game. Can, yeah. Would you do one for us? And I said, no, it's, it's too much work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do so, yeah. The bottom line was uh, CBS called and Brent Musburger came down. He wanted to film my slam dunk contest uh, in 75 or 6, one of those two. Okay. And so I said, sure, come on down. So um, uh, we got talking and uh, I said he was only going to do like a, I don't know, maybe a, a two-minute vignette uh, and show it at halftime of a NBA game that CBS was going to show or something. Sure, it was just a curiosity thing, and so I asked him. I said, "Why, why won't you? Te- why don't you just televise the whole game?" <laughs> yeah, and he says, "Well, half you're, it's a regional game. Half the players are local." Yeah, and uh, uh, the reason you're drawing so many fans is because. They're coming out to support the local kids. They don't even know who the national kids are. Sure. So the, the second year, I had to start promoting the fact to the fans, who did you see last year? Not talking about who the players were the second year, but who did you see last year? You saw Butch Lee. You saw Rick Roby. You saw, you know, yeah, I was Moses. promoting yep. the past to sell tickets for the present. So... When, when he told me that he couldn't televise, he didn't think CBS would be interested because it was a, a local game, I said, uh, Brent, what do you think if I do a national game? Yeah. The best guards in the East against the best guards in the West, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, well, th- that might be something we could talk about. So that gave me the idea anyway. So in 76, 
I went up to uh, the local McDonald's people who were very supportive, and I said, what do you think if I start a national game? Would would you be interested? And they said, well, look, we're local. Uh, you'd have to go to national. I didn't even know where the national McDonald's was located. Sure. I was only, I was only dealing with the local ones. So they said, uh, you know, so I told them what my vision was. I said, I don't want to do it in D.C. I don't want to replace the Capitol Classic. I want to do it in addition to. Sure. And uh, they said, well, uh, let's I'll fly you up to Chicago and you can make the pitch to them. So he had Bob Beavers, uh, who became a great friend of mine. His kids went to Churchill High School locally. And so I knew his family. I knew him. He went up to Chicago with me, and I pitched the McDonald's people. I was the only non-McDonald's person there, and I had to pitch them on the idea of creating the McDonald's All-American team because there was no other team. I was calling the the kids the U.S. team, sure, the United States team, so I, I wanted to call them McDonald's. And uh, they loved the idea of the team, but they didn't think the game would succeed. Understood. And their argument, their argument was, you can't sell tickets to a game where nobody knows who the players are. Yes. And I, he said, you're only successful because half your kids are local, are and that's local. why you're mm-hmm. getting the big crowds. So I said, okay, you might be right, but if you want to do a if you want to do a team, I'll do the team. And uh, but my idea is that we'll only do. 12 players and we'll invite them to play because my concept was I wanted to build the brand McDonald's All-American. Yes. I wanted that to, I wanted to coin that phrase so that every kid in America would dream of being a McDonald's All-American if I could build the better mousetrap. <laughs> so yeah. I said, can we bring the, the 1977 team, we'll call it the McDonald's All-American team, but we'll only invite 12 players to be on that team, and they'll come and play against the local team. They'll be the USA team. Yes, the McDonald's All-Americans. Yeah, and they said, well, what do we care? I don't care. Yeah. You can do that. And I said, uh, so at least we can at least have them play after being named to this team. So that 1977 was Magic Johnson, Albert King, Gene Banks. You have the history of it. Sure. It was a great team, although I didn't know how great they were going to be. But um, uh, So in 77, they asked me, who picks the team? And I said, well, I do with the help of Howard Garfinkel and other people. Sure. I picked the Capital Classic team. And they said, well... They didn't say I was a nobody, but they said, well, you need to build a blue ribbon panel. You know, if we're going to advertise this in Sports Illustrator, we're going to get behind this with national dollars. you got to put a blue ribbon panel together. Mm -hmm. So I called Morgan and asked him if he would be the head of the selection committee. And if uh, uh, John Wooden had just retired in 75 uh, when he beat Kentucky, uh, for the national, his tenth national championship, and he retired. So I said, maybe we could get him to be involved. Sure. Because uh, all the other coaches that we knew were still like Bobby Knight or Dean Smith. They were still coaching. Yes. So McDonald said, "Hey, that's a great idea. Why don't we'll call him?" And uh, from what I heard later, he. Uh, more, uh, John Wooden said he wasn't interested, and after 10, 
10 minutes, 10 seconds, I think he hung That's... up on him. <laughs> yeah, I could see he that. Never, he... he never really believed in all-star games. He yeah, didn't he believe didn't. In individual. He didn't believe in slam dunks. Yeah. He... And uh, so I said to Morgan, um, look, you're a coach. Uh, I met John Wooden in 1970 when I, yeah. I worked on two Final Fours, one in 66 and one in 70. I was on the committee when uh, in 66 both games were played at Coalfield House which only sat 14,000 but that's how the final four was not a big deal Sure, neither was pro basketball a big deal Um, and college coaches didn't make a lot of money doing it and they did it for the love of the game so um, I said to Morgan look uh, Coach Wooden would not remember meeting me uh, but because I was the host for Jacksonville and uh, had to help them get around and show them where they were going to stay at the Holiday Inn, et cetera. So I was their host, not UCLA's host. So I convinced Morgan that we should make a call to to, uh, Coach Wooden and coach to coach. You know, I've always believed that you should talk to your peers. You know what I mean? In other words, I would be a lower-level guy trying to reach somebody much higher up than than I was. So I got Morgan to call and he said, you know, told him about the Capitol Classic. I've been running for four years. Um, uh, this was, uh, I'd been running for three years. So 77 was my fourth year. Morgan said that, uh, you know, I had tight security. It wasn't a flesh market like some other all-star games were known as. Uh, coaches couldn't call the players in their rooms. We had a lot of good things going for us plus the fact that our game was for charity yeah uh, and so uh john wouldn't said to morgan well i don't know bob kagan uh, but if you say he's a good guy and he does a good job you tell him i'll be involved for one year and one year only okay and if it's not everything you tell me it is morgan then i'm gone i'm out yes mm-hmm. Well, I said, that's great, Morgan. Let's, let's start playing. So I did a banquet. I had never done a banquet before, so I did a banquet where the McDonald's kids could get an All-American ring from John Wooden. Yeah. Sonny actually came to that banquet. But <laughs> Sonny's trying he to steal me, ideas from you. <laughs> he, told, he, told, he told me later he was in the – we had about 250 people at the banquet. I got um, uh, Sonny Hill and a lot of people who – were supporting the Capitol Classic at the time to be there. And uh, it was quite a banquet, really. But uh, Sonny sat in the back and later told me he was there, but I never saw him because, you know. But So anyway, that's how, the, that's how the McDonald's game got started. And that's why there's an asterisk where the actual first game was in Philadelphia, 78. Yeah. There's no McDonald's All-American game. And to this day, can you believe it, Gene Banks thinks he played in the first McDonald's All-American game. Yeah, which he played and in the, the re- Capitol Classic. <laughs> and the reason, and the reason why it was sponsored by McDonald's, and as the game grew over the years, he asked me one time, "How come McDonald's never invites me? I'm the first MVP of the <laughs> McDonald's game." And I yeah. said, "No, you were the MVP of the Capitol Classic." Yeah. Uh, and so it was it was confusing, but I, you know. How the second, how the first game in '78 got started was interesting because after the '77 game was over, and I think we drew about sixteen thousand or so for that game. Sure. Uh, the 
general manager of the 76ers came down and patted me on the back and said, are you Bob Gagan? I said, yes. He said, I'd like to talk to you. Sure. And I said, fine. Um, he's now, I think he's still with the Orlando Magic. You Pat know Williams. I'm I think you're talking about Pat Williams. Yeah. So yeah. Pat Williams hands me his business card and says, look, you think D.C. is a hotbed of basketball. We had Will Chamberlain, Wally J. He starts rattling off these names. Sure. The Philadelphia players. He said, I want you to come up and do a game in Philadelphia just like this one. Gotcha. And I said, Pat, I don't want to do another regional game. Yeah. I want to do a national game. And I want to do a national game that pits the best in the East against, you know, same old story I was same. telling McDonald's. Yeah. But I said, McDonald's doesn't think the game will work. And he said, Bob, here's my card. You come up to Philadelphia in two weeks. I'll set a meeting up. And if McDonald's doesn't want to do it, I'll find you the sponsors. I think it's a great idea. Gotcha. So I was motivated by, you know, somebody believing in what I was trying to do. Yes. So out of loyalty to McDonald's, I called him and told him, look, I'm going up to Philadelphia. I told him the story and I said, I've got somebody there, and I told him who it was that really believes that there should be a national game, and um, so I didn't want you to read about it in the paper. But if he can, if we can put a deal together in Philadelphia, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I just didn't want. I wanted to give you a heads up because I didn't want you to read about it in the paper. Sure. They said. They said we'll meet you in Philadelphia, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> so they so, flew into yeah. Philadelphia. They flew into Philadelphia. And I set up a meeting with the local McDonald's and Pat Williams so that I had the same deal that I had in D.C. I had the local McDonald's trying to sell tickets by marketing and promoting the game. And I promised them that all the money from the sale of all income would go to the local, to Ronald, the local McDonald. Ronald McDonald house. Yep. Now, did you use that? That was their motivation for get, why would they do it? And I said, now, corporate, your role in this thing would be to pay to fly the players in, to pay the uniforms, to pay for all the stuff. And they told me the same thing they told me the, after I pitched them on the team. They said, Bob, if this game doesn't work yeah. in Philadelphia, there won't be a second McDonald's All-American game. Yeah. So well, they approved of doing it, and that's how the, that's how the whole thing got rolling. And then I made some enemies with Pat Williams because he expected me to do the game in Philadelphia every year. I see. So you moved it and it worked and you 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 sponsored it, meaning gave the, the money to the local Ronald McDonald house and moved the game to various sites year after moved, year. I moved it to Charlotte because yeah. there were two kids in North Carolina that I had heard about Yeah, named James Worthy and Dominic Wilkins. Sure. So, the, so, so I, Mr. Gagan, I, I said we need to move the game around the country, unlike the Capital Classic, which I want to stay in D.C., but I want to move this around the country to keep it fresh. And because I learned that McDonald's Corporation gets a lot of money from the local McDonald's people. Sure. So and, and, and so when they buy national ads, it's with the money that the local market has given them. And I said, I, I don't think a national game will work unless we move it around the country so that every McDonald's owner-operator will feel he has a vested interest in this game. 
well, obviously the national game game worked. It really worked, and uh, it's obviously one of the most prestigious high school uh, honors that that uh, you know kids look forward to every single year. Uh, Mr. Gagan, we appreciate you coming on and, and giving us this insight. We appreciate it. All right, you're welcome. Have a good day. Yeah, That's a so, lot of uh, historical insight there, man. Yeah, it's crazy I mean, how all that came about. Yeah, it's just, you know, how he took a chance. And, you know, he drew 11,000 to that first game. If he didn't have Moses Malone, maybe it doesn't work. Yeah. If Sonny pulls his inside move and you're not going to that right, game. Right. Similar to the stuff we see now. In oh, many, in man, a lot res- of stuff we see now. We, in many respects. So it worked for him. And he told me a story how 20 years later he had he a... Had, uh, Kobe was at his at the McDonald's game, obviously in 1996, and he was one of the only people that really thanked him after the game, and 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 really, you know, personally thanked him, gave him a hug, and, and he remembers that. And obviously, he has so many fond memories. He can go on and on, similar oh, yeah. to Sonny, and just tell us every 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 single year what he did and what happened. But basically, to give our viewers an idea, he moved the game around. It wasn't until later. In the early, like, 2010s that the game stayed in Chicago because it drew really well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now this year's game is going to be, went from Chicago to Atlanta to Houston. So kind of give that, uh, you know, a summary of that because the game has gone, gone on more than 40 years. Right. And, you know, for, for more information on this, obviously we wanted to, you know, the main thing we wanted to tie in is how last week's guests, like, you know, Rashad Phillips, Corey, how they all knew each other based on these games. Sure. And without, like, somebody having the vision, like Sonny, and and um, Bob Gagan and how they went to Morgan Wooten. Who's the first guy they went to? Is Morgan Wooten? You Both know guys. I mean? yeah. yeah. And Morgan Wooten vouched to Coach Wooden to get him involved. And Coach Wooden, he didn't say it, but Coach Wooden stayed involved after that first year, all the way until his passing. Right. So for more information on this background of this, you guys wanted more information on this. Uh, Coach Morgan Wooten has two biographies uh, by Bill Gilbert, from Orphans to Champions in 1979. And a coach for all seasons, which came out in 1997. Uh, he has his book, which is a lot of coaches know about. Devin is, as we kind of mentioned, uh, coaching basketball successfully. Uh, I think the first one was in 1992, but it's been updated a yeah, few times. But yeah. it's basically the same high school book about carrying amount a certain amount of players, what to look for on the JV, that type of things. And then Morgan Moon has a documentary called The Godfather of Basketball. And then, interestingly enough, there's quite a few 30 for 30s that tie in our yeah, last all this two, stuff. Yeah, our last two episodes. Um, Soul Man is about Sonny Vaccaro. He talks a lot about what he talked about with, with Kobe Bryant and that situation, mm-hmm. getting him to the Lakers. He also talks about the failure of not signing him, LeBron James, to Adidas. Benji, he kind of mentioned, uh, Benji Wilson, Benjamin Wilson, yep. which is a tragic story in Chicago of a high school player dying in 1984. That's Sonny Vaccaro's mentioned in that a lot, about the value of high school players that they had by that time in 1984. And then the Dominican Dream about Felipe Lopez. Yep was in New York, a New York high school star in 1994 in Rice High School. And he kind of guided him through the process of maybe going pro or going to college. Sonny's involved in that. And then a really good one is Survive and Advance, the story of Jim Valvano, the yep. late coach of North Carolina. Obviously, North Carolina State was kind of in the dumps, and uh, they were looking to hire Morgan Wooten. And you can hear in that 30 for 30, his wife tells him, Morgan, if you go up there to North Carolina State, you're going to take that job because you're two guards, Wittenberg and Lower there. If you go to the, on that last visit, you're going to take that job and right. leave DeMatha. So I guess his wife had made that kind of motion, and, and he didn't go, and the rest was history. Valvano went, and four years later, they win the national title. So Crazy. Those are some just some background. If you want more background, on, on obviously, we, 
we can keep going on and on and on, but we're going to move on to, you know, back to the high school realm, back to talking about current things and local things next week. We obviously have a lot of big games to go through. Playoffs start next week here in Southern California. So I think, you know, obviously this, we've covered a lot in these two weeks. So, Devin, you know, just give us some closing thoughts and we'll, and we'll look forward to the next pod. Yeah, I think the next pod we can touch on Nike Extravaganza. We can touch on the Trinity League, you know, kind of championship game that's going to go down this week uh, between Modern Day and St. John Bosco. And uh, then we can discuss, you know, open division and the, uh, th- those yeah. selections and what we think might happen uh, in that division and in the lower divisions as well. Division 2 AA and Southern Section is really good yeah. this year. So, um, then we get ready for the state tournament. State and tournament, yeah. I mean, it's we'll all talk just about gonna, this stuff that we're the McDonald's game for this year. For sure, know? yeah. It's all going to snowball you know, in the next few episodes. But these last two episodes I know have been been pretty tough. Yeah. You know, discussing you know, deaths of, you Death know, of people historic and, and uh, legendary figures in the basketball community. But we hope that we were able to give you guys some good background on, on those those individuals. Uh, but until next week, that'll do it for episode 55 of the In the Paint show presented by Ball is Life. We thank you again for you know spending you know an hour plus with us each and every week. You can find us on uh, Spotify, uh, iTunes, and uh, SoundCloud. And uh, we appreciate any and all comments and listens. But until next week, Ronnie and Devin are signing off.